My intention is to show you that when Jesus says something, he gives the power for it to be so. Hello friends and welcome. I want to share with you something that we talked about uh, at Manthanos double slash Kairos last week. And that is the idea of rejoicing always. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, the Bible says, Rejoice always. And I think this is either one of the cruelest commands in the scripture or one of the kindest. Because our world is so full of brokenness and pain and suffering both at the the macro level where we look out at the world and we see things are not the way that they should be, but also at the micro level, uh, the way that our own hearts are broken and our own bodies are still uh, wanting to sin and desire things that are not good for us. We, We want the very thing that we don't want, you know, like Paul talks about in Romans. And so for God to tell us, these broken people living on this broken planet to rejoice always seems like that might be a really mean thing for him to do. And yet, I believe that in this command of God, in these instructions written in the uh, epistles, we actually discover the kindness and the goodness of God. Because when God commands something, when the Word of God says something, the moment that he commands it, he also simultaneously gives the grace to do it. And that's what's so awesome about the commands of God. That's what's so wonderful about the words of God is because with the word of God, you know, the Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans 8.1. And the word of God comes not to condemn us, but to empower us, to bring life. Jesus said to his disciples, my words are, are spirit and they are life. And in John chapter 16, he said, these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be full. And so the word of God comes to us to give us life, to increase our joy, not to increase our burden and to make us feel guilty. Uh, My brother, mentor, Bill Job, he has a sermon that he gives on joy. And he one of the things he points out in that sermon is that sometimes sermons on joy actually steal our joy because they make us feel guilty that we're not more joyful. And that is certainly not my intention today. My intention is to show you that when Jesus says something, he gives the power for it to be so, that with the command of Jesus comes the grace of Jesus. So when Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, there's the story of the paralytic who's let down through the roof, and Jesus sees this guy who his friends have brought him, they've lowered him through the roof, and he says to him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, if, if, there was, if this guy couldn't walk, to say to someone who can't walk, hey, come on, get up, man, take your bed, go home. Like, that's mean. That's like taunting them. That's like making fun of them. It's unkind. But when Jesus says it, he gives him the grace to fulfill it. It's like when Jesus is talking to Peter on the, on the lake, when Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus says, come. So when Jesus gives Peter the command, he also gives him the ability to fulfill it. And that's what I want to encourage you with today, that when God says to us, rejoice always, 
that God is giving us the grace to rejoice always. In Philippians 4.4, Paul writes, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And notice where the joy, he says rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in your circumstances, not rejoice that you can buy everything you want to buy or you have all the relationships that you want to have. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you, you thought I wrote it on accident, again I say rejoice. So the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has written these things down in the Holy Scriptures, and God is giving us the instruction, rejoice always. And I would just present to you that this is the kindness of God. It's almost like God is saying, hey, just in case you guys aren't smart enough to realize you should be rejoicing, I'm going to tell you, rejoice. Like, we should realize, like, we are people who were condemned to die. We, we should die and go to hell. That's what we deserve. And yet God, in his great love for us, sent his son Jesus, put all of our sin onto Jesus so that we could be made the righteousness of God, so that our sin wouldn't be counted against us, so that we could be blameless, so that when Christ returns, we could get brand new bodies, untainted by sin, and live on the earth, reigning forever as kings in God's royal family with Jesus Christ. Hey, just in case you don't realize like you should be rejoicing, God's like, rejoice, and rejoice always, all the time. God has made the provision, and he's inviting us to enter into not our provision, not what we have, not our own joy. He's inviting us to enter into the joy that he has provided for us. Remember Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. In Psalm 16, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So we can rejoice in our connection and our relationship with God. In Psalm 63, 7, he says, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Romans 5, 2 says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We've talked before that God's glory is his goodness, that when Moses asked God in, in Exodus, he says, Let me see your glory. And God says, I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. That we can rejoice that God has made us to be the heirs of his goodness, to be the recipients, to be the objects of his kindness. In Ephesians 2, 7, it says, In the coming ages, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have been elected by God to be the objects of his kindness for all of eternity. So when it talks about the hope of glory, it's the hope of God's goodness that God is going to spend all of eternity showing us how good he is. And in previous podcasts, we've talked about suffering and how the, the scripture invites us to rejoice even in our sufferings. In Colossians one twenty four, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In Romans 5.3, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. In James chapter 1, it says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And we talked about that in the, in the two podcasts, Should Christians Suffer? 
and how that participating in the sufferings of Christ is an honor and a joy unto itself. And I don't mean like when, when things don't go smoothly in life or when we make a stupid decision and then we have to suffer the consequences. I'm talking about suffering for righteousness sake. So if you want to understand a little bit more about that idea and what it means to share in Christ's sufferings, which is something that all believers are invited, are, are, are supposed to be about, sharing in Christ's sufferings, you can go check out those podcasts, Should Christians Suffer? It's a two-part podcast. But today, I just want to encourage you that when God says to rejoice always, that is such a kind command of God. It is so good that God did not say, rejoice after you're dead, or rejoice when everything in your life is exactly the way you want it to be. No, God gives us this beautiful, wonderful command, this invitation to enter into his provision when he says, rejoice always. And you know, just as perhaps a little practical foothold, a little practical stair step to walk into this invitation of God, in my own life, I have found the shortcut to joy is gratitude. And in fact, that's even connected in this verse in uh, 1 Thessalonians because he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so there's this connection between rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. It's like he's giving us this beautiful formula as a way to be in the world. And it's so simple. And it's so astonishing how applicable it is to every person in every era, in every culture. Like there's nothing contextual that uh, presupposes, oh, you have to have this environment to be able to do this. No, this was written to people in the first century suffering persecution, you know, no cars, no air conditioners, no indoor plumbing, no hot water heaters. These were not, you know, it's hard for us to imagine, I think, how difficult life in the first century really was just to exist and be in the world. I mean, our lives compared to theirs, we literally live like kings. And yet, to those people, God writes, rejoice always. Why? Because the joy was not to be found in the circumstances. The joy was to be found in the connection with the one who made him. That I can rejoice always. In Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and hope. And so the joy and the peace, God wants to fill us with all joy, with all peace in believing. It's connected to us trusting him and to us coming into relationship with him so that my joy is no longer dependent on my external circumstances, but I can rejoice in the fact that no matter how small and insignificant my life is in the scheme of human history, I have a place in the heart of God, and I am valuable to him, and he loves me so much. He loves me so much that he let his son die for me so that I could enjoy the same relationship with God that Jesus enjoys. That Jesus gave me access to the Father so that I could be connected with him and I could go through my life connected with him, living with him, staying in step with the Holy Spirit. This is cause for great joy. And just in case we didn't realize it, God gives us this wonderful, beautiful, kind command to rejoice always. There's another scripture that uh, connects this to uh, giving thanks. 
in Ephesians chapter 5. When um, my kids were smaller, they were in the scripture memory program. And one of the verses they were supposed to memorize was Ephesians 5.20. And so in our home, we made a song uh, out of Ephesians 5.20. Maybe I'll put it at the end of the podcast. But it says, always give thanks for everything, Ephesians 5.20. That's the, name, that, that's the lyrics of our song. But in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, it says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And when it says give thanks always and for everything, I don't think that means that we give thanks for wicked, horrible deeds. You know, like we don't have to give thanks to God for all of the abortions or all of the murders or all of the adultery that's committed all over the world. But we can give thanks that in every situation, God can be magnified. In every situation, God can triumph. In every situation, the glory of God can be manifested. And so I think gratitude really is a shortcut to joy. It can help us get there very quickly when we're giving thanks to God and we're recognizing that He is good and we're recognizing that even in a bad situation, He can triumph and He can turn a bad situation and He can work it for our good. That, you know, the Bible says that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I don't think that means that he causes all things, but that in every situation he can work it out so that we still emerge triumphant in Christ. And so I think gratitude really is a a useful stepping stone as we step into God's invitation to rejoice always, God's command to us, to rejoice always. And so I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope you don't feel guilty, like, oh, I need to have more joy. But I hope you feel encouraged that God wants to give me more joy. Like God wants, God is not looking to me to provide what he has asked for. That's that's a beautiful thing. And you see that theme throughout the scripture, beginning with Abraham, that Abraham has to offer a sacrifice and God provides the sacrifice. Much more that Our sin demanded a sacrifice, and God himself provided the sacrifice. And the Bible says that if God would not withhold his son Jesus, how much more will he give us everything else? And so when God says rejoice always, it's an invitation to you. It's God saying, look, here's the provision. Come and enjoy it. And so there's no need for you to feel guilty that, oh, I don't have more joy. I want you to be encouraged that here's God offering it to you. You know, sometimes we look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those good things, and we feel like, oh, I got I to gotta produce these things. But we have to remember it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that produces it, and we get to take part. We get to partake of it, and we get to stay in step with the Spirit. So I hope that's encouraging to you. Uh, Let me leave you with this song that uh, we produced, man, probably 10 or 12 years ago. But uh, God bless you. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon.
Ephesians 520 